Hi, Ricardo. How are you? I'm good. What about you, Kostov? Very well, very well. Thank very you. Good. What? Yes, yes, yes. It's a rather sunny um, late afternoon here in Singapore. Um, how are things at your end? How's the weather? Ah, yeah, the weather is fantastic. It's a bit cold, but today we have sunny, a sunny Copenhagen. Uh, so it's, ah. uh, it's actually very nice. Excellent. I was in Copenhagen um, a couple of years ago. Uh, lovely place, although I couldn't see the whole area. I was more towards the newer developments near the airport where you uh -huh. have the um, exhibition center. And yeah. um, the... Uh, you know, I always like these anecdotes at the beginning of a podcast when we talk to one another and we are separated by thousands of miles, but, yeah. you know, we can share things. And, um, you know, the one thing I remember very vividly is that my wife and I were sort of stuck at the local light railway station because we didn't know where to book a ticket. And obviously the stations are all, you know, unmanned. And a yeah. gentleman spent a lot of time, he was a commuter, but he took out time to explain everything to us. And, um, you know, that was quite remarkable. And people there were very, very friendly and um, very open. So we had very nice memories of, uh, you know, Copenhagen, albeit we didn't really explore the city. We took a long train journey from Hamburg to Copenhagen on the uh, ferry. That's nice. which, yeah. Yeah. And that ferry no longer works, though. But, um, you know, who knows? We'll be there again by next year, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so how's the... Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, Ricardo, if you don't mind. Um, and I'll, uh, you know, what I would like to do on, the, on this podcast episode is to really bring to our audiences who are all over the world a sense of how the startup scene is in Copenhagen. Uh, what are you guys doing out there? And, um, you know, what's the culture like? Um, and maybe talk a little bit about the technology around your work and how you run operations as a CTO. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, so I've been working in with startups around the world for uh, around 15 years now. Uh, right. And I started in, in Lisbon and moved to London for five years where... I was lucky enough to to land on a on a startup that uh, became quite successful uh, called Monga.com. Um, uh, of course, that that company uh, in the later years uh, it became uh, it targeted on the news uh, because of the the social aspect of it. Uh, the company was yes. uh, was uh, giving uh, basically short term loans for for people that did not have money at the end of the month. So, um, right. and, and the interest rates were quite high and that came, uh, you know, uh, uh, the company came uh, in the later years uh, a bit under fire by the government and, mm. and everything. But the technology, uh, the technology and the first years of the company were amazing, right? And that established... Right. Uh, the blueprint I have in terms of building tech teams and helping startups to success. Um, so after mm. after that, um, 
after that that company i i was working in different projects as a contractor and on my part time i'm always doing uh, things not related to my full time job because it's uh, a way to to keep up with the trends and become uh, better right. and better at my job so i was doing this uh, uh, online printing uh, mvp uh, with uh, two, mm. with two Ger german guys and um, and and basically we got funded by some silicon uh, valley uh, investors, uh, in, including uh, John uh, Joe Lonsdale from uh, the PayPal Mafia. They call it the PayPal Mafia, yeah. which is funny. And, yes, uh, yes. you know, I had the opportunity to meet these people and, and get inspired by them. Uh, and, and I had to move to, to Sao Paulo to continue the project. Uh, and mm -hmm. In basically three years, we were able uh, to sell the company to, to Vistaprint. Uh, and it was a, wow. it was a success. Um, then uh, this this was uh, from 2011 to 2013 uh, around that. Uh, and then uh, you know after a while uh, I decided to move to to Europe just because hmm. I was feeling that I was far away from Portugal and it was difficult to travel on a regular basis to to Portugal. Right. Uh, and because. Uh, you know, I was uh, just looking at different opportunities in the startup ecosystem, and Copenhagen came in in the radar, and uh, and then I ended up uh, coming here to to work for several startups. So I've been uh, at Trade Shift, which is one of the unicorns uh, in in Denmark. Yeah, uh, I was there for for three years, so just learning how to to scale a company uh, and an engineering department from. You know, uh, 40 engineers to 200 engineers and thousands of that included. Right. Not only managing uh, uh, dozens of engineers, but also understanding how do you scale it to the different squads and how do you actually go about merge and acquisitions and things like that. So for me, it was like a, a, a practical university for me how to how to scale things, and uh, I was missing that bit as well. And now I'm um, hmm. I'm at Superb uh, uh, as a CTO and late co-founder, and we are tackling the the fine dining market. So we are uh, uh, building software for for these uh, high-end uh, uh, customers uh, that uh, rely a lot on data to uh, to not serve uh, their guests better, but also to take better business uh, decisions. Um, so it, right. it has been quite interesting to work with the best restaurants in the world. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, myself, I'm a foodie, and uh, I think it's an interesting mm. uh, industry to, to tackle and to, uh, to disrupt as well. Right, right, right. So that's quite a journey because you began in London with a payday lender, if I'm not mistaken, that that's what Wonga used to be. And um, then you moved into online printing, and from there you moved into trade shift. And then you are now in the um, uh, restaurant sp uh, startup space, well, the restaurant yeah. tech space, if you will. Um, so superb. Uh, what, so I understand what you're saying. Now, does it integrate with the point of sale, or does it offer a point of sale solution itself, and then you pick up the data at the back and 
give yeah. analytics from the ordering? Yeah, so so basically we call it all-in-one, which is uh, an okay. offering from the reservation systems, gift cards, you know, all of the capabilities right. of no-shows, prepayments, uh, you know, uh, ability for offering experiences, uh, and uh, we have the point of sale as well. So we have everything integrated mm. in one. Uh, of course, it's several apps, but they belong to, to Superb, and, and the data, mm. of course, it's easier for us uh, to, you know... Uh, uh, just join the data and and try to to give that data to the customer. So that's exactly this year what we are focusing on is uh, uh, starting to give that data to the to the customers in terms of a guest profile where they can see right. three sixty. You know, uh, you know what are the guest needs and what are the the guests what what does the guest want you know, in a experience inside, mm. inside the restaurant. Mm. Mm. So um, that's very interesting. Um, in Singapore, we have a few of those. Um, there's a company called CHOPE, C-H-O-P-E, which basically I think derives its name from the word CHOP, which yeah. is that you, you know, leave a marker to, you know, save your space at the table, which is a bit of a national addiction here, although... You know, during the lockdown, people haven't been eating too much out. But I mean, people have come back in large numbers. But in the pre-social distancing days, you used to put keychains and fobs and identity cards and lanyards and all kinds of things, umbrellas, to chop your place. Yeah. So uh, there's there's quite a highly successful startup here, which got into a similar space that you're talking about. And uh, are you guys uh, shipping your so your software works on a SaaS model? Is that right? So you offer subscriptions. Yeah, we we offer the typical SaaS model subscriptions, right. uh, but you know we also have a transactional model. So we, we are moving mm. towards the fintech space where we mm. are we are tapping into the payments uh, part of the business, and and today mm. it's it's a trend that uh, these payment gateways are more focused uh, into. Uh, specific user flows and specific mm. industries and a lot of investors are looking into this area. So instead of uh, offering uh, a payment gateway or a, a, a payment service provider that it's actually just serving in a generic way all businesses, why not actually starting from a niche and starting offering that, that, uh, that, serv that service in a specific industry? And you see a lot of right. that trend now emerging, uh, and and that is putting in companies like Izetel and even uh, mm. Light Lightspeed uh, POS as well. So we see this trend of focusing on a a, a segment, a niche, and then uh, on the back uh, just put a, a fintech uh, and uh, with a payment gateway. So then you can right. ultimately play with that bit and and potentially um, drop prices, etc. So that's um, that's uh, that's uh, one thing we are looking at and uh, and exploring at the moment for sure. Right, right, right. Um, that sounds great. And um, uh, tell me a little about the. Um, 
you know, the challenges of running engineering. I mean, there was a time for almost a year and a half when I had to de facto run. I did, I, I'm not an engineer, but I had to run engineering because I was looking after the product for my own startup. And although it was a very small startup, um, nonetheless, the complexity which quickly starts to come out when you're building product uh, is just staggering. Now, in general, people, of course, say that all the tools that we have, such as Jira and Trello and so on, are the things that help you to become more efficient. And obviously, it is um, a widely held truism that um, if you use Agile, then it works brilliantly, which it certainly does to a large extent, especially if you want to move quickly. But um, uh, have you seen a sort of um, rocky path here? Um, and do you believe that these tools give the answers or uh, you know, is it more human ingenuity combined with the tools and there are better things which have to be done going ahead? Yeah, definitely. I think tools can help, but Today, uh, in the industry, there's this fallacy that if you are, uh, you are smarter than others if you use the ultimate tool. And I, I, don't, mm. think, I don't think that's true. I think tools yep. uh, like, uh, for example, project management tools, they need to be silent. If a tool is not, mm. is not silent, it means that your engineers will be focusing on coding Jira instead of actually coding the product and improving the product, <laughs> right? And and that's yeah, that's yeah. a very strong opinion I have. But I, you know, I've been in dozens mm. of teams, and I saw teams that are not productive because they are focusing on things that are not very interesting for the business. Um, yeah, and and I think. The job of a CTO is actually to drive that focus out of the things that are not very interesting, that might be interesting for engineers themselves because they see a technical challenge, um, hmm. not necessarily for the business. And I think ultimately the CTO needs to be quite aware uh, of this situation uh, because ultimately that means velocity and a velocity to get to to the the goals that the the company has to achieve that ultimately means more revenue. Right? Yeah. So I think these tool yeah. these tools are very good, but the tool needs to be quite silent. So if 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 uh, on the standups on the meetings with the team you hear too much about the tool itself, probably it means that you need to make yeah. a change. You know. So the tool sh it should be j there just to support the team. And to uh, mm -hmm. and, and to put some light processes uh, that you need just to organize between uh, our, ourselves in the team, but not something that uh, yeah. gets in the way and uh, 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 takes uh, time of conversation and and takes time of actually improving the product. So I'm much more prone of let's spend less time on meetings and and PowerPoints and tools, and let's uh, actually spend more time on what it matters, which is moving the product forward and improving the, po the product as much, as fast as we can, right? So, um, so I think that's my theory around tools. And I see a lot of people that, that right. think experience comes with being very, vers you know, uh, having a lot of uh, versatility in this, uh, in this tool. 
Yeah. But, you know, in the end of the day, that matters, uh, you know, like maybe a very low percentage on the, uh, to, to get to your goals. So I rely way more on communication, uh, empathy, uh, humility, uh, teamwork uh, than on the tools themselves. Uh, tools are there just to support uh, us uh, with the work and they should be just completely silent. So um, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, life in Copenhagen. You know, I, for example, live in one of the most crowded cities on earth and I live in public housing and you probably heard the tap go off in the background, which is everyday life here. You know, you just can't escape the noise and the, um, you know, life basically plays along behind you as a constant backdrop with its own noise and, um, you know, rhythms. Uh, how is it like in Copenhagen? Do you guys, uh, is it bigger places, longer silences? Uh, how is it uh, like? Copenhagen is a beautiful, it's a beautiful city, very calm. Uh, it's a city where you just enjoy time, I'll say. You just, uh, time sometimes stands still. You have this feeling of calmness yeah. and, People are just happy and uh, you know going about their lives, and you people, most of yep. uh, Copenhageners they they use bikes and they 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 commute, and uh, it's a very a very nice environment, uh, very friendly, uh, super nice for kids as well. Uh, it's not very it's not mm -hmm. very noisy compared to uh, cities where I've been, like Sao Paulo or London. Uh, yeah, it's like a, I, it feels like a, it's a city, but a, it feels like a village uh, where, yeah, mm. because <laughs> you don't have like yeah. you don't have uh, buildings that are very high, um, and, and yeah. it, it has that feeling of a of a village, uh, but actually it's a city, but it's just a feeling on the day to day. So, you know, typically, typically right. my day to day is just you know. Uh, wake up, getting my kid to to the kindergarten, and uh, it's I do everything walking or on a bike, uh, and then go to work. Hmm. So it's very very nice. And how long does it take for you? Just um, curious. One of the things I did notice in Copenhagen, well, two things I noticed is a lot of people have bikes. That was obvious, and that was one uh, similarity, let's say, with Holland, where people also ride on bikes all the time. Um, and the other thing is that a lot of Copenhageners seem to have dogs, right? So um, a lot of people with pet dogs and the dogs are super friendly as well to one another as well as to people mm. in general. And um, uh, the thing that I noticed was people seem to knock off work fairly early. I don't know whether that yeah. was, that's really the case. Yeah, that, and then they go for long. That, that is the case. And that's the nice part of, of Denmark is that they... They care a lot about your personal time with your kids and your family, so uh, uh, right. you need to to pick up your kid at, at four, five, uh, and and that's it, right? Usually at four is the the, right. the typical time that parents need to, to the kids. So uh, so it ends very early and and also starts. It can start a bit early as well uh, compared to other countries, but yeah. you you. You end up working if you are not in the startup. I guess uh, 
you you end up working yeah. uh, less hours and that ultimately contributes for um, uh, you know for for uh, your happiness um, and, hmm. and and for the greater good of the society you know and uh, it keeps things balanced right. and people are not are less stressed and and they yeah yeah they they can uh, enjoy their kids as well uh, and I, I think that that's a bit different from a country where I come from, Portugal, where getting out at 7 p.m. is just normal. Uh, and and you actually need to do that if you want to keep your job, you know. Um, so, right. so I think there's a lot of difference. Ultimately, the focus increases, so you, you tend to, uh, to spend... Uh, the time in the, the things that matter most because you have less time to to do those. So y you try to prioritize what, what really moves the needle. Right. So I think this uh, constraint of time is actually good for businesses uh, because it means, mm. it, it means that you, you really need to be careful, you know, where you put your efforts. Uh, so you move the Mm. Uh, faster and ultimately that's velocity right because if you are focusing on the wrong yeah. on the wrong things uh, then it means that it doesn't matter how fast you you are doing those but you if you are actually uh, looking at your priorities and and choosing the right things that ultimately helps you so I think in Denmark because of that uh, I think businesses have, have an advantage in, in that sense. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And um, uh, you mentioned Portugal. So, um, uh, what? How do you compare the startup situation there? I mean, you obviously worked there for a little while, maybe some time back, but I'm sure you have kept in touch and so forth. Uh, how does the culture compare, let's say, with Copenhagen and Lisbon? Between Copenhagen and Lisbon? Uh, you, you mean the startup ecosystem? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think. Uh... It, it's a bit behind Lisbon at the moment, but you 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 start to see a lot of uh, companies coming from north of, of Europe uh, uh, going right. there. I think maybe that stopped a bit, but you, you see a lot of foreigners mm -hmm. now trying to open companies in Lisbon because of uh, uh, mm. tax and also you know the weather and the life there. But I would say that the startup ecosystem. Mm. Uh, is developing. You have like a couple of companies now that are like Farfetch and Talkdesk that are, you know, uh, quite successful. Mm. Um, but but it, I think it's still early days uh, uh, in, in that ecosystem. But hopefully in the next years to come, it will evolve more and more. But Copenhagen is, is a bit ahead of the game. Uh, Right. In terms right. of successful startups, uh, successful entrepreneurs, and also in terms of mm. investment. So the government here in Copenhagen, in Denmark, they, they, they are putting uh, a lot of effort in helping early stage startups to succeed. So there's a lot of uh, right. startup programs that allow entrepreneurs to apply for uh, um for money for investments uh, with right. and and in in uh, in Portugal you probably have some but not at the the, the scale that uh, the Danish government is doing. Hmm. 
And tell me, coming back to engineering as the CTO, where does, and this, I mean, as I said before, I'm not an engineer. And one of the things that I sensed when I was working on product earlier in terms of hands-on execution planning was that it is, there is this do, fatal double edge to it. On one hand, you do feel rather tempted to continue building and building and building. Uh, on the other hand, you do need to get the first release out, but when you get the first release out, then the subsequent releases might have to try and strike a balance between new product development and you know, debugging or improving the previous release. Uh, or uh, basically reacting to the market. So, uh, and then there is that tendency then of struggling between what you started as your vision and the practicalities of execution. So, as a CTO, do you face these challenges? And uh, I mean, if you don't, then of course that's brilliant. But if you do, uh, how do you uh, you know tackle that? Maybe there's a lesson in it for other people as well. Yeah, that's a, a great question, and uh, yeah, I do. I do have a lot of challenges with that. Um, that 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 balance is quite tricky to achieve, and uh, and it, I, I think it's one of the biggest challenges that we have in uh, in startups, which is that balance of okay, right. when are we ready to launch something? You know, uh, if you are developing a new product, when is when is it right to launch? I would say mm. that you need to mm. launch as soon as possible because that ultimately not mm. only give you immediate feedback and but ultimately creates um, a natural push for the team and a natural motivation for the team to run after uh, the prejudices yep. or the or or the problems that that first version will have and and there's no there's no perfect first version so. You need to be a bit embarrassed. Uh, hmm. If you are embarrassed on the first uh, iteration, it means that you are on the right path. But then you need to get, uh, hmm. you need to go to the customer. You need to be very close to the customer to understand what's the initial feedback, and then uh, and then the team needs to work towards uh, a better solution on an iterative level, right? So I would say. For startups out there and even like entrepreneurs that don't have yet the first developer, yeah. I would say if you can release with a, uh, you know, a mobile phone and a spreadsheet, just do it because the, the, right. because the, and, and most of, you know, I'm not saying all of the startups can be done like this, but most of them, you know, especially marketplaces when it's, you know, you are uh, trying to, um, to bring customers to the platform that are looking for uh, uh, massage uh, ter therapists or something like that. Like when it's marketplaces, you can you can typically yep. the first version can be spreadsheet and a mobile phone. So I would say like you don't even yep. have to be uh, sexy in the sense you don't need an app initially, but you can customer and starting understanding the business itself. So then. You mm. when you're going to implementation, you start to iterate a little bit better and and do less mistakes. Uh, but of course, this this is only yep. for certain businesses. Most of them can be done like this. Uh, uh, for the ones that need a, an app, 
just launch as early as possible. Don't don't uh, don't try to second guess yourself. Just put something out there and then uh, watch watch the users yeah. uh, and customers using that product and then uh, and then figure out what's next and how can you improve that initial version uh, and then you, if you if you have this mindset uh, i think you'll you'll increase the chances of success and then you have the other part which is when right. the product is mature there's another set of things uh, that comes into place like quality how do you guarantee quality how do you guarantee that the product uh, does not go back in time, you know, does not, uh, um, yep. uh, that developers don't add or revert uh, certain problems that uh, were felt before. Um, and uh, there's uh, all, all kinds of techniques with QA engineering uh, that can be applied, like automating tests and things like that. So uh, I think there's different stages to products. Um, and and also it depends on the industry. So I'm an advisor of uh, companies that are uh, uh, you know playing in the health uh, space, and for that you need to be a, a, bit, a mm -hmm. bit more careful since the beginning because that plays with people's lives. So uh, you need to put those keyway processes quite early on. Uh, but if you are not in those yep. industries, then uh, I would say just just release as fast as you can and uh, and and make sure that you are a bit embarrassed, I will say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's a great way to put things. And um, uh, do, you, um, uh, uh, do you let your team or yourself get exposed to irate or upset customers, yeah. or do you tend to shield your guys from that? No, uh, actually, myself as a CTO, I spend a lot of time behind the counter on restaurants at the moment, uh, just... Yeah, oh, so good. just to observe, you know, it's what's what's called the eating your own dog food, right? So, you, oh yes, you, yeah. you know, I spend a lot of time with customers, uh, checking performance problems, um, and, and then we mm. have a product team that also checks for usability problems. So we we want to be as close as possible from the customers. And and the engineers need to feel that as well because if they are in the bubble, um, it, it, it does not help them. Um, and also, I think it's motivating to to see your what you build being used in real time and getting yeah. that real feedback and getting sometimes uh, uh, customers that are not extremely happy. Uh, and that helps a lot because that makes your team more uh engaged in in solving the 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 problems and because everyone uh, wants to be proud of their work right so if they see it's not yeah. working and they see it first first hand then uh, people will yeah. work as a team to to bring the product uh, forward and and to a better place so you know you raised a very interesting point, and I am going to use a separate episode to talk a little more about it and refer back to this conversation. It is the hierarchy of cultures within the startup ecosystem, where engineering is supposed to play a particular role and business is supposed to play a particular role. And one of the problems that I see, which is not often talked about, is the um, you know should tech be exposed to business in terms of people. And I think they absolutely should. 
But my experience has typically been that tech is closeted inside what you rightly refer to as the bubble. And there are layers between them and the end customer. And that might serve the purposes of a few people. But um, unfortunately, number one, things get lost in translation. Number two, it adds significantly to inefficiencies. One could, of course, argue that tech people should be doing tech and not looking after customers, and that is true. But then I think we are living fundamentally with a very different concept of product and service, right? Where um, I think we still haven't gotten to the point where we are able to describe it, but we are no longer on the Taylorist assembly lines of the early 1900s where everything was linear. So um, I think this is something that needs to be thought about a little more uh, because the spaghetti which is increasingly created around product um, and the inability to get the tech guys in front of the customer or to uh, you know, take part in the customer's own processes can often be, uh, be uh, not a great thing. So thanks for uh, bringing that up. Uh, well, look, I'm conscious of the fact that you have begun your day and very grateful that you chose to give the time for this podcast episode. One last question, if you don't mind. Um, what are your plans for the weekend? Uh, for this weekend? Ah, yeah, skateboarding with my kid, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, wow. my, my son is five years <laughs> old and he's... Uh, he has this uh, passion about skateboarding, so uh, I'm I'm going to skateboard right. and uh, tomorrow and and then on Sunday I'll go with the family somewhere to the to the countryside and and enjoy nature. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's going Excellent. to be our our plan for this weekend. So, what about yourself? Well, um, you know, we are in the middle of um, just getting in funding for one of our startups. And um, I, of course, do these podcasts as well. So it's been a full house every weekend for some time now. Uh, but things are getting better. So uh, there's some opportunity to unwind a bit. Um, but we will see. I mean, one of the problems for us is, of course, that Singapore is at the end of the day an island. So while we are as normal as you can get under pandemic, you really can't go anywhere, Yeah. right? So it's not like Denmark where you can get onto a train and go to another part of the country. Here I can get onto a train, but I can only go to another uh, part of the city, which is not quite the same thing. You know, it's like staying inside yeah. Copenhagen. But um, it's interesting that you talk about skateboarding because again, I can see a connectivity. When I'm looking out of my window right now, there are five guys who skateboard here at this time of the day, mm -hmm. school kids, every day. And they've been doing it after the pandemic, and it's really caught on here. So if people's you know, ability to move around is reduced, they just find new yeah. ways to move around. You know, people are always ingenious. So excellent, excellent. No, look, it was a great conversation, and I hope we will have the opportunity to interact more and have more interesting conversations in the future, and maybe a few of us can get together on these podcasts and have a chat because I think it does everybody good to just unwind sometimes and talk about product and processes and cultures and engineering. It's always yeah. a revelation. So uh, Ricardo Paro, um, CTO and co-founder of Superb, thank you very much for your time and for being on the Sandhill today. And um, I wish you all success and a great weekend. Ah, thanks ahead. for having me. And uh, I wish uh, all the success for this podcast. And I really enjoyed. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you, Ricardo. Bye.